Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Leighton Hewitt, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, another fantastic day of tennis at the Australian Open ends with Roger Federer against Novak Djokovic for a 45th time, this time in the semi-finals of the Australian Open. Maria Sharapova once again came up a little short against Serena Williams, who beat her 6-4, 6-1, and will now take on Agnieszka Radvanska in the semis as well. My name is David Law. This is the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph, and we have... A very, very special guest on the show today. One of our favourites, Catherine Whitaker, is going to be so jealous because she's not here. She's presenting the Eurosport Highlights show back in the UK because I've got Mr. Chris Clary from the New York Times here with me. And Chris, we've just had the pleasure of seeing the two best players in the world, arguably. Andy Murray may have something to say about that, but Federer and Djokovic in total control today. You're very neutral, David. I mean, because this and Andy's still number two. I like that. It's very good. You're get in trouble there. No, it's uh, on level of play right now, I would agree, definitely, even though the rankings don't quite concur yet. Um, Roger's playing great tennis. I mean, I really am amazed, I have to say. I mean, he's been done this in the last three slams now, heading into his match with Djokovic. So we'll see if this can be a bit different, eh? You've been around for a while. I'm not going to say how long because I don't want to get in trouble with you. But you've been watching tennis for a long time now. You've covered a lot of sports as well. You've seen a lot of rivalries. Where does this stand? I mean, this is their 45th meeting, for goodness sake. You know, tennis is so blessed right now on the men's side. I mean, there was a time there not not too long ago when I thought Nadal and Djokovic was the best rivalry. We had a couple moments of Djokovic and Murray being pretty good too. So, But this one has surprised me because I would never have guessed at this stage of of Roger's career that he would have been able to get into a position to play Novak nine times in less than a year. They, this will be their ninth meeting in less than a year. And Roger's gotten him a few times. So, it, you know, it certainly is compelling, but I, I have seen the ending to the story a couple times recently now where Roger just runs out of gas, goes for too much in the big match against Novak. So those matches haven't been great, great. They've been good. We'll see what happens this time. I have a theory, Chris. I have a theory that a semifinal not a final, helps Roger Federer and gives him a better chance. Now, if you're listening to this in a couple of days' time, knowing the results and knowing that Novak Djokovic has thrashed Roger Federer, I'm going to look a bit stupid right now. But that's my theory, Chris. I think it takes a little bit less out of the legs of Roger Federer to meet a round earlier, 
And I think there may just be a one-thousandth less resilience in Novak Djokovic, knowing that not everything, not the whole title game match is on the line in the final. What do you think? I like that theory, and in this case, especially because Roger hasn't had to do a whole lot coming in. Even though he had, uh, you know, obviously a pretty straightforward match on the scoreboard against Murray in the Wimbledon semis last year, it was still a very emotional, draining match. And he played such a high level. This time, he really hasn't had that, so he is coming into it fresh. And frankly, I think for everybody else, you know, the closer Novak is to the Gilles Simon match, the better for the opposition, because that's still got to be in his muscle memory and his brain somewhere. And that was quite a blip on the screen. But he does have that, doesn't he, Novak Djokovic? In fact, I think most Grand Slam winners, if you were to look over the the record of the tournament that they've had to get them there, most players have a match like that that they have to come through. True. But that was exceptionally bad for him. And I know that Gio Simon did a lot of things to make it happen. But it it was interesting. I can't imagine that you can totally forget that match in the same tournament. But I think he did some smart things. He told us tonight that he went out and took a day off, actually and just got his mind in a new space, which was very uh, 21st century of him, I think. Huh? Walked around the garden, I bet, here in Melbourne. <laughs> so, what, so what do you think Federer will need to – do you think he needs to go about it differently to change the result, or, or do you just think he needs to execute better on the day? That is the problem with this matchup is that you try to think about, okay, what does he have to do? And then you realize what he has to do, and that is hard enough over best of three. But best of five, when you're attacking him, going after him, which is what he loves the most. I mean, you are, as we say in the States, in his briar patch, getting ready to, you know, invite you in. So Roger's going to do that. I don't see him being able to beat him from the baseline. So it is his only option. He's got to serve great. Um, got to volley better than he's volleyed in these big matches recently. And the first set is absolutely critical, I think, because that's really what's hurt him, is that he has not been able to take that momentum forward in the match, let Novak get his teeth in. But can he do it? I think he absolutely can do it. Um, but it's going to be... Uh, really kind of the match of his life at this point in his life to do it, I think. I know what you mean about the first set. I think the stat is that he's never beaten him, in fact, when, when he's lost the first set, certainly not in a, in a grand slam. And, and I suppose that even when you're as great as Roger Federer, there must be a little bit of anxiety knowing how critical that first set is, especially when you have his game style. When you watched him against David Goffin a couple of nights ago, it, he knew that it didn't matter how well Goffin played, and Goffin was playing well, hitting lovely ground strokes. He was just dismissing him as if he was nothing. You could see there was not a flicker of anxiety in his body. That isn't the case against Djokovic, is it? We saw it at Wimbledon. He played that match against Murray, and he was a, he was a bit of a different player the next, the next round. I, I totally agree, David. I think that's the situation, is that maybe there's a way for him to somehow be a little more philosophical with himself but he, I think he thinks he has to make it even better against Novak, as everybody does. But he should know better by now. And he's done it at a high level. He doesn't have to do it at his absolute highest level. And he has to accept the fact that he's going to make mistakes, but he also has to kind of relax a bit out there. It's not easy to do. But that has really been the key, I think, is that his level has been higher than he's shown in the finals against Novak because Novak psychologically and tactically has forced him to go for more than he's really comfortable with. So I'm going to uh, let you choose the winner here. Who's going to win it? Um, I'm always wrong on your show. That's for, that's for, I, don't even, I don't even know why you still ask me. Is it? We're always wrong on our show. Don't worry. That, you have to be wrong to come on it. It's your sadistic side, isn't it? Uh, you know what? I am going to pick Federer like I almost always seem to do because I really feel like he has one more slam in him. And I, don't think, I just don't think it's going to get any easier going forward. I think this has to be one of his last windows of opportunity the next few months here, uh, next year, I would say. So I'm going to go with Roger. I think he wins the first set, and I think he, he pulls it out. But, boy, it's going to be close. Wow. 
Chris Clary from the New York Times here on the Tennis Podcast. Um, you mentioned the word philosophical about maybe the approach that Federer needs to have. That struck me as something that Serena Williams had about her today when she was talking about her road in this Grand Slam. And for me, her body language is different to what we saw a few months ago when we were in New York, when she seemed really racked with tension. She, she, you could see the weight of history on her shoulders. She knew what she was about to achieve if she were to beat Roberta Vinci and then the two remaining opponents that she had. She didn't do it. She took the rest of the year off. She seems to be carrying herself differently to me here. She seems more content, more just happy to be playing. I don't know what you think. I agree. I think it's interesting to watch Serena because all the cues are very important with her, the physical cues and, and the way she conducts herself between points. When she's played her best tennis over the years, she's been mostly in a bubble, very self-contained, and then there'll be the elements of rage that'll come forward in, on big points. But I'm seeing a different vibe here. It's almost like she's you know, flirting with zen a little bit. It's very strange to see. I mean, her body language between points is almost kind of loose-limbed, walking. It's as if she's making this all, uh, putting it all into perspective, which is a very scary thought. And I think, you know, in a way, she had a lot of time off after the disaster in New York last year, tennis disaster, to think about what happened. And um, Patrick Moore, too, is a, a very good psychological coach. Um, might have some limitations on his tactical knowledge at times or his, you know, in-the-lines coaching, but I think he's very, very good at motivating and, and finding new ways of getting to uh, experienced players. And I think that's probably been one of their big themes is trying to get her to, to relativize and realize, yeah, she's done pretty much all there is to do. There's this record, but she's won everything multiple times. And the Grand Slam, thinking about it before the season's not going to help you. So I do think that she is um, able to put it in perspective, both because he might tell her that, but also because it's true. That pressure on her shoulders in New York was something she'd never experienced before. And only, I'm not sure any tennis player, because of the era that we're in, has ever quite experienced that. So everything else seems light after that, right? I've been really impressed as well with her, how magnanimous she's been towards her opponents. She seems to be genuinely supportive of them. There seems to be a real kinship almost there between her and the rest of the players. I heard her say, I mean, you know, some people may say it's a bit patronizing or condescending to say to Daria Kazatkina, oh, I love your forehand, I love your game after she's beaten her in 44 minutes uh, and a 6-1, 6-1. But I actually think she she was genuine. I think she she seems as though she really is just enjoying being still out here. And, I mean, I think she used the word, I know people might say it's a cliche, everything's a bonus, all the rest of it. I actually believe her. Yeah, there are times I think she does have really good connections. I mean, I think the Wozniacki connection was real in recent years. There's a little bit of the art of war in it too, I think, at times, you know. Hold your enemies close, closer than your friends in some respects. But, I, you know, I think with Sharapova, uh, it's just an incredible dynamic, isn't it? I can't say she's been too charitable to her, so I'm not sure how far that, that spirit gets extended. No, well, that's right. Sharapova is an interesting one for me because she hasn't beaten her in more than a decade. It's 18 matches in a row now, isn't it, I think. How does Sharapova keep going? How does she keep going into an off-season, knowing she's rich beyond her, her dreams, and putting in the work and still believing she can actually do something about this? You know, I think Serena will extend her career, not the contrary. I really do. I mean, I think if, if Maria were dominating the game and the physical problems that she's had, all the money and, and rewards that she's had, it might be easy to get complacent. But I can't imagine she could have a complacent moment in this situation because she knows how much better she has to get in order to have a real chance of beating Serena on a stage like this today. I don't think she'll ever get there. I think 
she could beat her again. Uh, obviously, she's not going to reverse the tide of this rivalry at this point. But um, I think I think it's been good for her, much like Novak and and uh, Rafa have been good for Roger. Yeah, interesting. Victoria Azarenka is the story that most people have been talking about, aside from Serena, in as much as it feels as though she's in a very different place in that rivalry, that she has a chance, that she should really get to the final from where she is right now. 14th seed, but second best player in the world. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, this is, looks very much like that sort of final, doesn't it? And it's a great final, frankly. I mean, I, I spent a lot of time with Vika before the uh, last season. I went to L.A. when she was kind of coming out of a dark place, spent time with her. thought she was ready for a big season last year. Um, turns out her foot was still bothering her, and then her ranking, she got some tough draws, probably still carrying a little bit too much weight, as she would surely admit herself. But she had so many matches last year when you think about it. You know, you do the top ten women's matches of the year, you know, three of them for sure featured her, maybe four. This is a woman who finished outside the top 20. So that's quite something, isn't it? It tells you where her real level is. You talk to Maura Tuglu, who tends to uh, not speak with a forked tongue, and he says, even last year, he was saying she was the second best player in the world and the true champion. So I, I think that's all very true. And I think Serena Azarenka in a final of a Grand Slam sounds about right to me in terms of the current game. And we could do with it, really, couldn't we? Because you've talked about the rivalries in the men's game and how blessed tennis is to have them. It hasn't been like that in the women's game. Yeah, it's had the right vibe um, on the court. You can see the intensity. That Wimbledon match last year was extraordinary um, just in terms of the uh, level of engagement, quality of the shot making, the power to the corners. So, that's, so that when you, when you watch it, it feels like it, but it's true on paper it isn't there yet because of, you know, Azarenka's only beaten her three times. Um, but it is something the women's game has suffered from terribly in the last 15 years. A lot of missed opportunities. I mean, Kim Kleisters and Serena hardly ever played, which is crazy because of the way their ups and downs didn't coincide. Um, so I feel like that's what's really held back the women's game in a lot of ways in terms of public interest and some of the buzz. On the other side, it's created a champion like Serena with her great dominance and great numbers. So that's a little bit of the flip side of it. But I still think tennis is all about, you know, rivalries head-to-head, looking you in the eyes, and there hasn't been enough of that uh, real you know, competition at the top. Just a, a word on Azarenka as well. You've got a press conference to go with Novak Djokovic in a moment or two. But Victoria Azarenka, you mentioned you spent a lot of time with her in the dark place that she'd been in. I personally like Victoria Azarenka when I've interviewed her only a couple of times and I've seen her around a little bit, and I, I think that there is a really interesting person there and a, and a, and a good person too who has not really been able to transmit who she is in the early parts of her career. I think that that is starting to change. But as you said, she, she went through a tough time for a while. Yeah, she did. I, I think she came out of a culture where, you know, sharing your emotions in public and, and talking in sort of the way we expect in the West was really not part of her upbringing. And I think it took her a long time to get used to that. I mean, Vika's a strong personality. I think she thrives on a little bit of conflict here and there. I mean, I think she's somebody who... Uh, has a lot of depth to her, truly. Um, I think she's had some experiences that made her, much like Sharapova, you know, grow up a lot, uh, have to deal with a lot of adversity. She left her home very young, went to Spain initially, had a tough experience there, ended up with the Kabi Bulin family in Arizona, which was a former National Hockey League goalie in the U.S. with the same kind of roots. So she was out of her own home at a very, very young age, and that took a toll on her. I think that really cost her emotionally. But she's got a lot of substance to her, um, and she will not be afraid to come at you with the real Vika anymore. 
And it's going to be quite something for to see how the world reacts if she gets back on top of the game again. As you know, we love a prediction on the tennis podcast. What do you think about that? If they get to meet, who's going to win it? Azarenka or Williams? Serena's serving well again. Um, I think she's, as, you, as we've talked about before, I think she's in a pretty good place, a relaxed place. I think it should be a really good match. I would still pick Serena, though. Chris, it's a joy for us to have you with us on the tennis podcast. Great to see the podcast doing well, David. Well, it's been a pleasure. Now, listen to you lot. There are big matches overnight. If you're listening to this in the daytime, uh, heading into the evening in the UK on Tuesday, overnight tonight, Johanna Konta will play in the quarterfinals of the Australian Open against Zhang Shui of China. It'll be on around about 1.30 in the morning. So either go to bed at 7 o'clock this evening and set your alarm, or just forget it, stay up, take your radio to bed, and listen to 5 Live and 5 Live Sports Extra. And we'll bring you live commentary of that match, followed by Andy Murray against David Ferrer. We'll also have the evening session match between Milos Raonic. Who's Milos Raonic playing, Chris? I can't even remember that. Gael Monfils. Gael Monfils. I'll tell you what, that'll be good, won't it? That'll be on 5 Live Sports Extra, so tune into that from around about 8 o'clock in the morning UK time. But for now, that's for all from us. We'll speak to you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 